Du lyssnar på en podcast från Studentradio 98,9. Alla våra poddar och program hittar du på studentradion.com eller där poddar finns. Hey, hey, welcome to Radio UF at Student Radio 98.9. And we are here right now in the studio. There's a lot of us, but we're doing the last episode of the semester and... Maybe the last ep- episode for some of us. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But today's show is an award ceremony, or at least we recollect the past year and all the important political events. And my name is Melker Hörner. And uh, yeah, let's start. Let's make a quick round. What are y'all's names? My name is Sara Lannebo. Uh, my name is Gilbert Anderson. My name is Milna Froidieu. My name is Christian. And my name is Isaac Johansson. Wonderful. Welcome to the studio, Gilbert. It's your first time, right? It's my first time. It's my first time. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Therefore, me not speaking into the mic. (laughs) Lovely to have you here. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back after the break. Keep on coming. You're listening to Student Radio 98.9. We're Radio UF, um, here with our ultimate episode, in which we highlight some of the most decisive political events of this year. Yeah, and you just heard uh, Casper and the Ghosts song The Box. And uh, we're going to talk about some wake-up calls. The most pressing wake-up call during the past year, I would say, just happened a couple of weeks ago, and it's still ongoing. It's the incredible heat wave in India and Pakistan that has reached uh, 100 degrees Fahrenheit during some days, and it has caused immense flooding and untold misery. Also, further exacerbating the global food shortage. And this is very serious. And therefore, we would like to look at some positive news regarding the climate that can also suggest what we should do in the days to come. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Melker. Positive environmental news this year were that the contribution of indigenous peoples um, to conservation and climate change mitigation has really been taken up further. Because, yeah, indigenous people while they are comprising less than 5% of the world population, nurture 80% of global biodiversity. And as um, an indigenous leader from Sarawak in Malaysia explains, caring for and sustaining their territories is really part of indigenous identities, part of their customary laws and values, and part of their way of life. And this year has really seen the growing recognition of the importance to adopt human rights-based approaches to conservation. And so we can see that we're moving away from fortress conservation. And uh, what is fortress conservation? Oh, yeah. As like Robin defines it, fortress conservation is a conservation model based on the belief that biodiversity protection is best achieved by creating protected areas where ecosystems can function in isolation from human disturbance. But um, we'll talk a bit more about that right after the break. 
You're listening to the Student Radio 98.9, and that song was Speed Trials on Acid with Carl Cox, Fatboy Slim, Dan Diamond, and LF System. But back to the topic, Melina, you, you were speaking about something. What was it? Absolutely, fortress conservation. And um, why is it that bad? Well, because you know it threatens indigenous peoples' human rights as well as the human rights of uh, local communities, including their net nature governance practices, traditional love livelihoods, food security, and so on. And that leads the UN as well as um, main agencies in that field to say that efforts to safeguard biological diversity without safeguarding the rights of those local communities perpetuate human rights abuses without achieving desired conservation outcomes. But another positive element that we've seen Last year, and it's part of a broader trend, is that there is a rise of funding initiatives that seek to, you know, direct climate finance towards those indigenous peoples and local communities as they they currently receive below 1% of climate finance, despite reports stressing their role in biodiversity conservation and climate mitigation. So, yeah, this is a positive trend where gradually acknowledging within formal conservation discourses that conservation approaches need to be more inclusive. They must better integrate support for biological and cultural diversity. Yeah, that's right. And I read a lot of articles about this very interesting thing about the many pipelines in North America. So most people would agree that the best thing to do with oil is to keep the stuff in the ground where it belongs. <laughs> and that is apparently very difficult to do. In Northern America, we see several pipelines that, by their very existence, allows for more consumption of a resource that harms the environment and indigenous communities. So it is understandable why indigenous activism exists to prevent the building of these pipelines. And it is inspiring to see that these campaigns taking the form of political efforts, but also nonviolent disruption and protests, has had great results not only for the people in question, but also for all of us. So according to a new report by the Indigenous Environmental Network, indigenous resistances to oil and gas projects in North America over the past decade has saved nearly 1.6 billion tons of annual greenhouse gas emissions. So that's about a quarter of what you, Canada and the US release together each year. And that is massive. And examples of some successful actions that we have seen are the uh, cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline that was cancelled partly due to objections and lawsuits from two Native American communities. And uh, that's good. But yet we see that indigenous people's voices are often ignored or answered with evictions and even violent crackdowns, for example. Yeah, exactly, Melker. And that's why we need to recognize and support the struggles of indigenous peoples and it is not only the right thing to do, but it has also been proven to be an effective way of curtailing environmentally damaging practices. And the first way to do so is to read about such issues and listen to indigenous voices going directly to the grassroots. Yeah, that's right. Because it's not only in North America, like in Sweden, for example, we see with the mines being built in uh, Kalak, for example, and the indigenous communities almost to every single person against this. But still we see it happen. So it's very important to listen to these movements and support them, I would say.
God Bless You by Bramcito. And we are moving swiftly along to the EU and antitrust laws. So we heard something really interesting from the American president recently. Uh, the choice to join a union belongs to workers alone. By the way, Amazon, here we come. Watch. And that was Joe Biden, uh, current president of the U.S., And uh, we can see a very interesting pattern in this. Isn't that right, Gilbert? That is exactly right. Amazon has been big on crushing down uh, unions and workers' rights throughout its history, along with several different companies that make up a large part of industrial infrastructure in the U.S. Amazon specifically is noteworthy because of merely its size. I mean, it's the, it's the largest company based Uh, mm-hmm. on the internet yeah. like as a whole uh, it is the second largest employer in the US and That's yet right. it only got its first union this spring yeah and the interesting thing if we go across the pond to the EU we see a lot of uh, pro competition laws because we see that uh, there's a lot of anti competitive behavior from these large tech chains yeah. and that's led to things like GDPR the upcoming digital markets acts a lot of these being spearheaded by Margrethe Vestager And um, that's a really cool how we see this alternative way to approach uh, regulating corporations. Yeah, yeah. Because you could say that there's kind of two things. You got the re- grassroots with the union. Yeah. And then you kind of have the top-down approach of the EU. Yeah, maybe yeah. even multinational. That's even above that. Yeah, like these corporations are being attacked from two completely different sides of society spectrum. You got like the people so to speak uh, and you got the like the elite in the form of politicians i think it's easier for the elite in within the eu to actually attack these like multi conglomerate companies mm-hmm. uh, as in position to like us lawmakers for example because these uh, companies have made lives easier for populations worldwide by cutting down prices by manipulating uh, your competition these companies can just cut prices and bleed money until like your company competition just folds and so i think that the eu uh, democratic deficit uh, is actually working in like the public's favor in these questions because these companies are hindering like large-scale economic growth over a large time period even though that lower prices might be like very attractive to some people at the moment. Yeah, that's right. And we'll see if the like the dream of a union America can return because we know there's a very low degree of union membership, yeah. which is strange as a Swede. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about declining rates and it's still like at 60% or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like uh I think in the US, I think it's like 30% of publicly employed people are like within a union, but I think it's like four percent or something like that within like private companies which is like where where the vast majority of people are employed yeah yeah and that's due to large union busting measures yeah and um and the competition as well so it's very interesting we might see the see this as a start of something a new workers movement in the u.s perhaps i think that's the right we'll we'll see if the pinkertons are as involved this time yeah all right we'll be right back after the break Welcome back to Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9. First, I want to say thank you, Maud, for that uh, insightful prata. But now we're going to go over and look at some positive news for women's rights. But first, we have a special or two special guests in the studio. <laughs> so do you want to say hi, Sam? 
Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Sara and I just wanted to say that this is a really good post- podcast and that you should really keep tuning in the next semester. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hi, I'm Signe. It's like, I think it's the best radio show, so keep listening. Good, yeah. good. Yeah, and you've maybe heard their voices before. They've they've been on the show. And uh, Sara is treasurer of UF and Signe is vice president of UF in the next board. Uh, but returning to the women's rights during the last year, I think the last few weeks we've heard a lot about North America or particularly U.S. and how abortion rights may be threatened there. Uh, but what we don't hear as much about is how it's actually going in the opposite direction than many parts of many other parts of the world. So we're gonna look at Latin America a little bit in South America and. Also in Mexico, there's been a, what's called Maria Verde, or Green Tide, or Green Wave, which uh, is a movement that originated in Argentina in 2018, when feminists took to the streets to defend a bill legalizing abortion that was being examined by the parliament. And Argentinian feminists won their case at the end of 2020, and can be said to have had launched a broader regional movement. And their symbol is um, green scarves or handkerchiefs, because green is a symbol of hope, health, and life. And we've seen other examples the last few year of uh, abortion rights moving in a positive direction. For example, Mexico decriminalized abortion in last September, and Colombia did the same before February 2020 or 2022 sorry abortion was only allowed in cases of rape incest or when pregnancy was a threat to the woman's health and life in Colombia but this policy was altered when a constitutional court ruling decriminalized abortion until week 24 uh, with no legal barriers and this also protects the doctors who carry out the abortion and in Chile It was decided in March 2022 that the draft of the new constitution that they are uh, working on uh, in Chile will include reproductive rights, including the right to terminate a pregnancy. And if this uh, whole constitution is approved, it would be the first Latin American country where abortion rights are secured within the constitution. Thanks a lot, Sara. And we can really see that Latin American feminists reach milestones, but have also shifted the global understanding of gender-based violence, mm-hmm. because they have put to the fore key concepts such as femicide or femicidio in Spanish, as well as feminicide or feminicidio in uh, in Spanish. The first one, femicide, refers to the killing of women because of their gender. To put it simply, while feminicide was introduced to capture the element of impunity and institutional violence. So I, we can see that there is an attempt to shift the blame away from women who experience gender-based violence to the perpetrators as well as people, enabling the perpetuation of rape culture, including agents of the state. And a last, last, last positive outcome when it comes to gender justice is that the Spanish government approved last week a bill that plans a paid menstrual leave for women who suffer from severe period pain. But we'll be back. You just heard Antwan by Komplicerat. You're listening to Studentradion 98,9. And now... We're switching gears down south to the Middle East. Because if you didn't know, we finally got world peace. 
when the war in Afghan ended. And now it's all fine there, of course, right? And we need uh, maybe a quick overlook, so to take us back, Christian. Exactly. The Officially, the war in Afghanistan ended in August 21. And as much as we consider it, we always, many of us who may be listening are considered that this war has been going on for a very long time. And indeed, it has been. It's been over 20 years almost. And officially, it's the longest war that U.S. has been engaged with. The Afghanistan war officially ended by removing all foreign troops. And we got again back to the Taliban rule. And the interesting part about this is the cost and the losses we have received by this war. In total, it's been estimated to around 250,000 casualties from this war. And on top of that, we're going with a bill of around uh, $2.3 trillion. So a big cost and a lot of dead people. So not a good thing. And, And what have we actually established? I mean, Taliban's are back in the rule. And we do know that Taliban's aren't really the best people to to civilians, but also especially to women. And one thing that has really happened now in Afghanistan is the attacks on, on women. For example, the the Ministry of Women Affairs has been uh, officially abolished. So there is no rules for women. And of course, all the politicians and, and ruling people, uh, there is no women involved in that. So it's a very tragedy in in this ending of this war. And a really interesting topic is that when this war started, we had President Bush who said we will not negotiate with any terrorists, we'll have zero tolerance. And after Bush, we got Obama, and then we got Trump, and then we got Biden, and it finally got over. But in the end... Trump made a deal with the Taliban, so he officially went against what Bush w- were saying. So he made a deal to actually go out of the war. So, and, and of course, Biden uh, accepted the deal also, so he continued on the agreement. But with so much lost and, and leaving the country in a mess, can we actually say that this war has established something after this much invested? Have we actually got something, or are we really back to square one? So... Isaac, can we really say that the war is over? I mean, at least from a Chinese perspective, we can say that, oh, we got a bit more stability, which is all we really care about when we're Chinese. And they are, of course, very tolerant to our political systems in China. Uh, But as we can see with this, we started with terrorism, we end with terrorism. So we clearly have definitive proof that time is a flat circle. And we'll catch you right after this. Hello and welcome back to Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9. You just heard Heaven med dig med, uh, with Veronica Maggio. And now we're going to turn to the most moving moment of camaraderie beyond party lines. And this award goes to the Social Democrats and uh, the Moderate Party in Sweden. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Because it's really not often that we see this kind of political unity that we have seen around the issue of NATO Mm. in Sweden for the last few weeks. Because on May 16th, the Swedish government announced that Sweden will apply for NATO membership. 
and the Social Democrats had changed their mind on this question and uh, joined the side of the their opposition party, the Moderate Party. And this uh, decision was announced in a press conference with Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson and opposition leader Ulf Kristersson. And I mean, just the fact that they were together on a press conference in this way is very unusual. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they just announced that like they have... They, really they are agreed. on the same <laughs> side on in this issue uh, and in this issue alone for the most part. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting that it's uh, this issue that they yeah. are not other important. Yeah, things. exactly. But I think uh, it's an issue where political, broad political unity is kind of needed. There can't be any doubts whatsoever whether or not Swedish is still like maintaining its position on foreign security after the election coming this autumn. Plus, you know, I mean, public opinion is swinging towards uh, NATO in a very favorable way for those who actively want a NATO membership. And so I think that this issue above most issues is kind of unique in that. Uh, it is a long time since Sweden really had this kind of statement to make about its place in the world. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is an issue that's like it's concerned with security for everybody so yeah. it's an issue that you know it's uh, easy to relate to yeah but don't you think also it's a way to like kind of persuade the people who are maybe not sure yet or are against nato yeah i mean um there's <laughs> one of the best ways quote-unquote best ways to increase public support for something is to show that there is like a large stance on the mm -hmm. opposite side and uh, there is a large majority at least if you ask like the politicians in parliament that and like you know that there is like support for this uh, and so i think that yeah sure it might be a political power too but it's a very effective one it's true um i just think it's so cute to see uh, magdalena andersson and ulf kristersson have a quote-unquote debate uh, <laughs> but just saying like oh i think you're so reasonable when you're saying that <laughs> i really agree it's like it, it would never happen i mean all things considered it was a very wholesome moment for yeah. like all parties involved mm. honestly whether or not you're against or pro nato i think it's uh, i think it's nice seeing like swedish politicians come together i know we've had a tradition of doing that in the past But I think that has been kind of eroding over the past mm. two decades or so. But I think this is a sign that things are going in the right direction. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, we'll be right back. Okay, you just heard... Firefly, Firefly by, by Shai Kuhl. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Radio UF at Studentradio 98,9. And this is our last episode for the semester. That's and right. the last episode for some of the people here uh, in this room, unfortunately. So now we're just going to go over quickly what the biggest uh, political events that have happened this year are, according to each of us. I called dibs okay. and I said uh, the war in Ukraine for obvious mm. reasons, mm. security policy, among others. I haven't thought about anything political, but I, I think like overall, uh, I think we have seen a lot of wars. So so I would say like Yemen war uh, mm. in that sense that it's got overshadowed, but it's mm. still at the same level political. And to maybe take a different turn, I'll go with the GSL, the Global Starcraft League is finally back with live audiences, meaning Kespa 
And a branch of the Korean South Korean government is finally letting up on the corona restrictions. I didn't understand any of that, but I'm glad to <laughs> that you got some sports in. What about you, Melina? Yeah, since Isaac mentioned the corona restrictions, I think, yeah, we've seen how different countries dealt with the pandemic and how some of them are out of it while others mm. are still under lockdown. So I think those like different strategies have been a very important political issue yeah um i mean okay i guess i'll take it from like a swedish perspective because no one's done that yet <laughs> i i think this nato thing whole whole nato process is gonna be it's gonna be long it's gonna be it's gonna affect swedish politics for a long time in the future uh, so i think it's kind of major for the time and place we're in right now yeah you're right and uh i was thinking about um African Cup of Nations that took place in earlier this spring in Cameroon and Cameroon is a country with a very bloody secessionist war that we don't really hear a lot about but that's also a very important uh, issue that maybe should be touched upon more. I should maybe add also a very important because we spoke about it earlier but I think a very important aspect is a rather funny but at the same time very serious is the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp uh, <laughs> case uh, one of the reason is because it's live and, and it's broadcast to all of the world we get to really see deep down on what happens in a court mm. in in a very uh, serious case and when it comes to sexual sexual accus accusations and, and uh, abuse. abuse yeah exactly and domestic abuse uh, and what I think is very important politically is that we see actually what's what happening in a courtroom because mm -hmm. we did see from for, for example from me too People got accused. There was some maybe something happened on a, on a on a judge level, but we never saw actually what happened. So I think it's uh, really besides the fun stuff, uh, all the objections and and uh, uh, says, But uh, I I think it's really good that every average Joe gets to have an option to see what happens on a court level when when it's involved these cases. Mm -hmm. That's right. But uh, before we end this episode, I just want to uh, say a special thank you to the people who probably won't be here next semester with us. Um, do you want to say anything? Asa? Yeah, thank you so much for <laughs> Radio UF uh, in general. Thank you so much for the very active team of broadcasters we've had this year. And um, thanks to the former broadcasters who made me discover my actual passion for the radio <laughs> and may Radio UF uh, continue to flourish with our great new head of radio Sarah Lonebo yeah. yeah we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I refer to my past or my last last episode that I'll do speech a year ago uh, it's pretty much sure that I'll leave Uppsala this semester and I will actually be working on my new podcast. I said this last year as well, but this time I'm serious. <laughs> uh, aren't men storming buildings? I'll be talking about coups. And uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, happy to have you all listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I too won't be part of it as much. I'll still be here in Uppsala. And whenever China calls, mm. I'll be at the beck and call ready to jump in at a moment's notice. Good, I will chase you down if you don't <laughs> <Yes>. answer me. <laughs> Just a short thing. Yeah. Um, we do have almost all of our pods. They are mm. going to be uploaded before before too long into June. Um, and you can find us there and we will be back after this semester, right? This 
summer, right? Yeah, of course we will. But uh, also follow us on Instagram at Radio UF. We will see you in September then. Or hear you. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> we'll be sure to let you know yeah. either way. <laughs> That's right. All right. Bye. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. bye. Surprise post-credit scene. Uh, we just noticed that this is our only episode where we're on schedule, so we got like two <laughs> minutes left. Uh, I don't know what to do. Um, okay, a great shout out to uh, European Waves, where our former colleague Greta Scott is active. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was that. We be goodbye again, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. Bye. Det här var en poddradioversion av ett program från Studentradio 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradio 98,9. Att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större.